me invite you out there and everyone at home to open up to the Gospel of John today. We'll be in the sixth chapter. This is the second Sunday in Lent, and you'll know in 2021 we have been spending uh, the past few months thinking about identity. We've been asking the question, who am I? And last week, uh, we sort of pivoted in that conversation, and, and we'll continue to sort of move in a different direction through Lent and toward Easter by answering the question, who am I, with the great I am, with the person of Jesus. And we want to increasingly identify ourselves, who we are, with him. And the Gospels provide us an incredible invitation to do that. To consider not just the work of Jesus, but his person, his identity, who he says he is. And I think that identity speaks deeply to our humanity. It speaks to, to every aspect of who we are, even to our stomachs. And Pete and I have maybe made a faux pas as pastors and preachers. We've mentioned food in uh, the children's sermon and now in, in the sermon itself. And that's always a risky idea when you're preaching because now I've set all of you thinking about what you're hungry for, right? You're thinking about lunch or maybe Sunday dinner. And I'm not sure that I'm going to get your attention back for the rest of the service, but I'll take that risk because our passage today speaks directly to our hunger. I think it asks us what we are hungry for. Can we, well, we've got the slides up there. I just, okay, I need to turn my, my monitor on up here. As you're thinking about what you are hungry for, I wonder when the last time you found yourself in this predicament was. You came into the kitchen you walked in there, you opened up the door to the refrigerator, and you stood there with a dilemma. Right? You sensed that you were hungry, but now that you're there in front of the fridge, you're not sure what you're hungry for. And maybe you want a piece of fruit. Maybe you want to pull out the bag of carrots. Maybe you eye the leftovers in the back of the fridge. Maybe you think, I'll just grab the milk and have a bowl of cereal. Or maybe, as you stand there in front of the fridge, kind of staring into the back of it, you realize, what I actually want might not even be in the fridge. Maybe I want takeout. And so you pull up your phone, and the process starts over on DoorDash or Uber Eats. I think, usually, when I have this scenario of not knowing what I want to eat, it it's often an, indica an indication that I may not be as hungry as I think, or my hunger hasn't come uh, to fruition fully. Right? Usually when I'm, I'm hungry enough, when I'm hungry in the deepest part of who I am, I, I know clearly what it is I want. But, but we often experience this, this indecision, this inability to name what it is we're hungry for. Figuring out our next meal, I think, is a fairly trivial decision. But the, the indecisiveness of our stomachs 
and our appetites is not altogether different from the indecision we experience in the appetite of our souls. And there are many days when I have trouble sorting out the question, what do I really desire? What am I really hungry for? When I add up all the days in the hour, all the days in the hour, all the hours in the day that I'm working, all the time we spend planning, all the time we spend sort of trying to keep the details of our lives in order, what are we hoping is the actual result? What's the payoff we're looking for, hoping for? And day to day, I don't know that I could always describe that. I can't say that I always know what I deeply and truly desire. Sometimes it feels like I'm standing there with the door of my life, the fridge door of my life swung open. But I'm still trying to interpret my own hunger. What do we really want? Now, the the fridge thing, I think, is a relatively recent development in human history. But I think there have likely been hungry people around from time immemorial. And in fact, we find a small army of hungry people on the pages of John's Gospel this morning. We know that there were crowds that began to follow Jesus from town to town as he began his public ministry. And we know some of them were enamored with Jesus, the teacher, Others came to Jesus because of his healing powers. But it seems as though a large percentage of the crowd were interested in Jesus the caterer. Jesus who developed a reputation for serving the best wine, for serving up fresh bread and, and basketfuls of fish on a moment's notice. If you're following Jesus around, who needs to cook, right? Jesus is there to to take care of it. Sounds like a pretty good arrangement. But just as the the crowds begin to grow in size, in the passage this morning we see that Jesus actually challenges, he pushes back on their enthusiasm for him. And to all of these would-be disciples, all the people following him from town to town, Jesus has some rather pointed questions he wants to ask them here in John 6. Specifically about the deeper hunger, the deeper thirst that might be driving them. So if all the talk of food has started your stomach grumbling this morning, then let me encourage us to get moving. We have places to be, things to eat today. And we want to begin that by feasting on God's word. So let me pray for us as we open to the scriptures, that they would nourish us in those deep places. Lord, I pray that we would come to you and have ears to hear your words, but also an appetite to receive them, to feast on them, to feed on what you would offer to us. Lord, I pray as I preach, may I appropriately lay out your word. May I be faithful to it. Lord, may our meditations and reflections on it also be pleasing in your sight. 
in Jesus' name that I pray these things this morning. Amen. So we're in John chapter 6. I'm going to start in on verse 25. But just before this, Jesus has provided a miraculous uh, feast, a banquet of bread and fish on the eastern shore of the Sea of, the Ga- of Galilee. And as the, the crowds are impressed with what Jesus has done, as the meal winds down that evening, Jesus quietly disappears uh, in the midnight hours, partly walking on the waters uh, and then partly uh, getting into the boat of the disciples late at night uh, and travels back to the western side of the sea. But the crowds are eager to locate Jesus. They don't waste much time. And the next day when they wake up and see Jesus gone, they are quick to track him down and to locate him on the other side. That's where we pick up in verse 25. It says, when they found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, You are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval." What I think Jesus is contending with here in these first few verses is a hangry crowd. And I often in my family get accused of being hangry, which is sort of a a predicament where I have failed to eat enough, and as a, a result of my hunger, I grow impatient, maybe a little chippy, maybe not particularly kind to the other members of my family. I think there's some, some aspect of that going on here with the crowds who are hungry. Right? Jesus fed them a day or two back, but by the time they find Jesus here in verse 25, they say, Rabbi, when did you get here? Which is, I think, basically a polite way of saying, Jesus, where the heck have you been? Right? We've looked everywhere for you, Jesus. And to the credit of the crowds here in verse 25, right, they've, they've walked, they've rowed, they've, they've schlepped themselves all over the Sea of Galilee looking for Jesus. And we might take that initially as an indication of their discipleship. Right? Isn't that what disciples do? They follow Jesus from place to place. Right? They follow his movements. They track him down. But I want to to consider whether that is in fact, and I think that's what Jesus is going to do here. He's he's going to call into question their level or their commitment or or the things that drive their discipleship. And I would ask us to be reflecting on the same thing. Right? What hunger is driving us to follow Jesus? What hunger is it that propels us whether it's to, to attend church uh, physically or virtually, uh, as, it, as it may be right now, whether it may be to, to go into the Word of God, maybe to, to stay connected with other believers. 
right? What are the things that are driving that process, that vision of our discipleship? Do we even take time to, to consider what hunger is, is pushing those things forward? One of the troubling things I find about this particular story, though, is that Jesus doesn't seem to be all that thrilled to have these particular disciples following him. In fact, it seems as though he is more interested in this passage in testing their discipleship. Jesus is scrutinizing their appetites. What it is they think they're going to get by following him. And in verse 26, Jesus surmises of the crowd. He says, you ate the loaves, meaning the loaves of bread that he supplied. You've had your fill and now it seems you're, you're here looking for more. You're looking for more of the bread I gave you. But Jesus indicates that he has a different feeding ministry in mind for them. He indicates that he's not likely going to just keep replicating the kind of miracle he provided in the wilderness there, in, in the feeding of the 5,000. And in the next verse, he says to the crowd... Do not work for food that spoils. Work instead for food that will endure to eternal life. And he says, this is the kind of food the Son of Man will give to you. And Jesus says, work for food that will stick to your everlasting ribs. Right? Work for food that has staying power. Work for food that won't bring you back to the fridge in a couple hours, wondering what's next. Like Jesus says, work for food that has life to it. So Jesus is questioning their hunger. But, but the response we see in the crowd is, is a wondering with Jesus about how you get the kind of food Jesus says he has to offer. How do we get this enduring, life-giving food, Jesus? And there's a series of back-and-forth exchanges between Jesus and the hungry crowd, beginning in verse 28. It says, The crowd then asked Jesus, Well, what must we do to do the works God requires? Then, Jesus. And Jesus answered, The work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. So the crowds asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Oh. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. But Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. If you kind of follow the discussion here, it's, it's actually kind of organized around two key words or two key ideas. The first being the, the, the notion of work 
What must we do? What must we work in order to earn our bread? And the second being with the bread itself. What kind of bread is Jesus talking about? So let's take the the first one here in verses uh, 28 through 30. This group of hungry people is essentially asking Jesus what it takes to be a bread winner. What kind of work is necessary to eat the bread you want to give us, Jesus? And so in verse 28, they say, Jesus, what sort of work must we do? What sort of work is required to get this bread you're talking about? And the, the idea there, that word work, kind of has, has layers of meaning. could mean, you know, physical labor that you do with your hands. But in, in the Jewish context, it also had the connotation of, of the works of the law, the works of righteousness. Are there special religious observances, things we must do in order to satisfy our hunger, Jesus? Maybe some of us have attempted to earn our bread in that way. Right? To, to do religious observances, to, to fill our lives with religiosity, hoping that it will satisfy our hunger. But we've probably all experienced times where, where sort of our churchiness leaves us either feeling hungry or maybe even leaving a bad taste in our mouth. Jesus says, that's not the kind of work that must be done. In fact, Jesus answers them by saying in verse 29, the work which God requires, the work by which God feeds his people is is singular, and it's a work of trust, not of labor. He says, the work God has given his people is to believe in the one he sent. And those words should be freeing to us, right? They should be reassuring to us that that the work God asks of us, the way he desires to feed us is to trust in him, to trust and to believe in the one he has sent. But just as Jesus is trying to make things simple, to, to open up an invitation here, leave it to the crowds to get confused and tripped up. And in verse 30, they they sort of push back. They turn the tables on Jesus and they say, well, if we don't have to do work to earn this bread, maybe you do, Jesus. And they ask him in verse 30, what then will you do? What sign will you give us to earn our trust? And the, the last phrase there, what will you do in verse 30, is literally in the Greek, what will you work for us? Show us a sign. Show us a demonstration. You do the work, Jesus. And in verse 31, we see that the work, the sign that they have in mind here, is one that comes straight out of Israel's past. Israel's culinary history, if you will. What they ask Jesus to do is to reinstate the days of Moses... When Israel was camped in the wilderness and and God provided a daily dose of manna that fell out of the sky. And they say to Jesus, Jesus, we want bread from heaven. Jesus, can you give us that? Could you do that for us? 
Now, I'm pretty sure none of us woke up this morning and prayed that God would make communion wafers fall out of the sky. I don't, I don't know too many people who pray in that way. But I'm guessing we, we pray for other sorts of things. We ask Jesus to, to work on our behalf in other ways, to give us other signs, to give us other circumstances. I know I have asked God multiple times to circumvent suffering, things that are unpleasant either for me or for people that I love. I've asked God to change my circumstances. I've asked God to, to make me or to make my faith a little more spectacular to my neighbors. People might find me more impressive. I have hungered and thirsted for any number of assurances from God. For God to provide things for me from heaven. And I'm sure there may be things right now that you're praying for in, in good faith and asking God to supply. And maybe waiting for God to supply. And sometimes they are provided and sometimes they're not. But Jesus encourages the crowd here to examine the difference between the, the things we desire, the things we might ask God for, and the nourishment that we truly need, the things God chooses to supply. What if there's a difference between those two things, our current desires and, and the desires God hopes to meet in us? In Deuteronomy chapter 8, uh, Moses speaks to the people of God who were fed by the manna for all those years. And it's at a time when, when that group of people who God fed day after day, fed from bread from heaven from the sky, they're, they're called to leave the wilderness behind. And they're about to enter the, the new season, the new promised land God will give them. And Deuteronomy has Moses charging the people about what to remember, what to take with them into this new, new, new season of ministry. And Moses speaks on God's behalf specifically about why that manna had been given to them. What God was up to there. He says in Deuteronomy 8.3, The Lord humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. And God did that to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God indicates here the, the reason he chose to feed them in this way. And it indicates that God's desire was not just to meet their physical need, but was to grow within them a, a hunger for something better. It was to cultivate in them a dependence upon God. Right? So that day after day after day they would feed on God's word to them. On the worth that they had. As, as former slaves brought out of Egypt, God would care for them. Whether they labored for him or not, he would supply what they needed. And God would speak over them a new identity as a people. And so the manna was a way for them to wait on him. To know a God of tender mercies that are new every morning. 
This was the the way God fed his people in the Old Testament. It's interesting that at the beginning of Jesus' own ministry, he too goes into the wilderness for 40 days. And he's tested in a similar way. Tested and becoming hungry. And as, as Satan tempts him in that moment of hunger, it's this verse that Jesus calls to mind. Right? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so I think it's, it's drawing both on Israel's past, but also Jesus' own personal experience. It's, it's from that that Jesus then offers to the crowd in verse 34 what he calls true bread from heaven. He says, this is what I would give you to feast on. And in verse 34, the crowd say, we're hungry, right? We'll take it. Give us this bread, Jesus, always. And then in verse 35, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. What sort of bread is Jesus offering? Jesus offers a meal to this crowd. And he does so in the form of two simple but astonishing words. The start of verse 35. To the crowd's plea for this bread. Give us this bread, Jesus says. I am the bread of life. Those two words, I am, don't sound like much to us in English. But in Hebrew, I am is the richest feast possible. I am is the name of Israel's God, the Lord, Yahweh, the great I am. So when the crowds ask for bread, Jesus says, feast on the I am. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. By which he means, not only am I the manna that you you seek to eat day after day. Jesus is claiming to possess the life of Israel's God within his own person. He says, whoever would come to me for would come to the I am, will never grow hungry. Jesus says, whoever believes in the I am will never be thirsty. So I think Jesus is extending an invitation here. And it's, it's like the one given to Israel in the wilderness. It's an invitation to recognize that That regular bread, regular hunger is not enough for us. We will find ourselves hungry again. Unless we come to feed on Jesus. Unless we feast on the one who is the I am. Only in that case will we find that our hunger has been satiated and our thirst has been quenched. Later in this same passage, Jesus will tell the crowds that it's his flesh and his blood that are meant to be true food and true drink. 
But what Jesus is offering is not a handout, it's an invitation. Right? Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, anyone who comes to the table that Jesus has set for us, he offers the life of God, the bread of heaven come down to feed us. This morning, I would invite you to, to come to that table. Today is not uh, a communion Sunday, but it is a Sunday where we want to bring our hunger to the presence and the place where Jesus is. And I would invite you as we take a few minutes now to pray together, to consider whether you're hungry enough whether you've allowed your hunger to, to grow to its fullest extent so that you might know clearly what it is you're hungry for. Are you willing to, to trade religiosity or, or, or partial hungers, things that, that you think might satisfy but ultimately disappoint? Are you willing to trade those so that you might come and receive the life of God in Jesus in the full? Are we willing to come to Jesus and know that he is the one we hunger and thirst for? Take some time to, to bring that hunger, to, to let it stir within you as we pray this morning. As you pray together with me. Lord, forgive us when we are not hungry enough. Hungry enough for the bread that is truly life-giving. Lord, forgive us when we manufacture in our own efforts attempts to, to supply for ourselves, to supply to others kinds of bread that disappoint, that quickly diminish, dissipate. Lord, when we make our discipleship about things that are not enduring, that do not truly satisfy. Lord, would you give this church, give your church longing to take in your words and to be obedient to them, to follow you into the fullness of life fullness of forgiveness and repentance and love for our neighbors. Ones that would lay down life on the, uh, for, the, for the sake of the other. Make us people that feast on your presence and your faithfulness to us each and every morning. Lord, as we look to you to sustain us and to nurture us, to nourish us, bring the needs of this particular body to you today. Lord, we pray for Becky Terranova. We continue to pray for her well-being. We pray for her upcoming cataract surgery. Would you be with her and Bob today? Lord, we pray for Jess and Christian Cordemanche as they eagerly anticipate the arrival of their new child. 
Lord, we wait with them, we pray with them, we pray that you would meet each of their needs in a unique way this week. Lord, we pray for Kristen Taylor and her extended family, the loss of her mother and father this week. Lord, as she's grieving, would you be with her, with her kids, with their, their whole family, Jesus. Lord, we bring our own needs to you now. Whatever it is that we're praying you would meet and supply to us today, where we offer it to you with open hands. We pray all of these things in your name, Jesus, the one who possesses life itself. Amen.